You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Future Projection Podcast. I am Carlos Colazzo, uh, and we'll see if we still remember how to do this thing, Ben. How are you, how are you doing? Good, good. Long time no talk, Carlos. <laughs> it has been a while. I think it's been, uh, hopefully this is the longest break that we have between episodes because I know we really like the, the kind of rhythm of doing them every week. And I know for you guys listening, it's a lot easier if you know we have podcasts coming out every week, so you can kind of just plan on that. But it is fortunately a very busy time at Baseball America, much better than Last year, where we were kind of scrambling to figure out what to write about, uh, at this point in the calendar, it seems like there are a million things to write about. There are a million players to go see. Uh, draft is really in the next few weeks. We've got underclass players on the summer showcase circuit already kicking off. Um, we've got minor league baseball in full swing, major league baseball in full swing. Um, and, and I got to say, I, I really have no idea what's going on at the major league level right now, outside of pitchers just falling over themselves to uh, not get checked for sticky substances because I've been so deep into draft stuff. But what have you been focusing on, Ben? Uh, I know you've been traveling around a little bit and you're probably working on a bunch of different things like we all are at BA, but what's what's going on in your world? Yeah, everything. It's like we're just trying to play some zone defense right now, <laughs> trying to cover cover everything like you said it's way way better than last year <laughs> we have almost too many things going on draft i've been traveling seeing players for i mean we, we put out our ba 500 i mean i i do the northeast so like play, players are still playing with a draft push back a month i mean there, there actually are still high schools that are still playing. I know some, some teams just got eliminated and, and are just wrapping up, but it's such a weird year where we still have high schools that are still playing. So we're still getting updated information. There are players who are playing, you know, whether it's locally and, you know, for a, for a travel team. So trying to keep up to date with them or players, high school players playing as, perhaps rising freshmen, depending if they get drafted in summer college leagues and, and wood bat leagues, where I think is pretty cool uh, to be able to get updated reports, especially on pitchers, just in case there's a guy who pops and that sounds like it's happening. <laughs> so Absolutely. It's, it's definitely, 
it's fun, but it's definitely a challenge to stay on top of that. And then, you know, while you're, you know, making sure we really have the 2021 draft list nailed down, I've been traveling around and seeing players for 2022 and 23 and then underclassmen and trying to keep on top of those guys. And then, Oh, we also have a ton of minor league players <laughs> going on and uh, the futures futures game rosters are, are announced. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I mean, that's another busy day, right? Where MLB yep. now is putting the day one of the draft <laughs> right, right after the futures game. So <laughs> Luckily, we have a, a good staff that can help us uh, figure out how to yeah. cover all of that in, in one day. That that weekend will be fun. I think we're pretty well equipped to make it happen because I know I'm not going to be paying a bit of attention to the Futures game, which is maybe sacrilegious. But for the draft writer, uh, I, I think it makes sense that I focus on the draft on draft day. So hopefully uh, JJ doesn't get too upset about me for that. I think we're going to have more than enough bodies at the Futures game. Uh, but but I think your point about just covering all of this is really interesting. I'm not sure how much we've talked about this specifically on the podcast yet, just because we're kind of in the crux of where the new calendar throws everything into chaos. But I, I've been talking with scouts and I was at the draft combine last week, the first one that we've ever had to kind of get some eyes on players and really just see what that event was like in the uh, first iteration of it. And and that is the challenge that that we're dealing with. Um, as we try and cover all of these prospects. And that's certainly the challenge that scouting departments are dealing with. Um, and, and I know, especially for the scouting departments that kind of have their pro and amateur guys either overlapping or, or people do kind of jump in between roles. It's got to be a real challenge to handle all of this stuff at the same time. Because, I mean, you were at a pretty big couple of events for 2022s and 2023s, although I guess it was mainly 2023s, correct me if I'm wrong there, um, before the draft. And this isn't really something that's been an issue for teams before. So they're in a really interesting dilemma where they have to decide to spread people out and cover multiple draft classes at the same time, or are they going to just focus on this year's draft class and make sure everything is kind of tied up for this year's group and then move on to next year's class where presumably you're going to be behind the, uh, behind the ball a little bit for some other teams who decided to start focusing basically as soon as the summer opened up. So it's tricky. Um, I think probably the most obvious solution for teams is just to hire more scouts, but obviously that's easier for me to sit here and say than to make happen in the industry. Um, but I'm curious about your thoughts on like how this, summer schedule changes how the industry operates and how how we do if there's anything that i haven't mentioned that that maybe is worth pointing out yeah no i i 100 agree if, if if i owned a team i would be hiring more scouts to to cover all this it's just it's just too much to cover at once it's yeah the the events i went down to at you know 2022 23 24s Obviously, look for MLB clubs. The 2023s right now are not a high priority. Although I was at you know at PG Junior National, where it was mostly 2023s. There were pro scouts there that said, "Yeah, we got assigned coverage here because we want to you know build history on on these guys early on, and then have you know more than just uh, you know the summer." 
before to to start really building history on on these players and that's you know we had the ultimate baseball championship there's a bunch of other events going on or that have already happened and are going to happen in the next couple of weeks before the draft for 2022 players and i think it's an important window to be able to see these players because if, if you wait until after the draft to shift your focus to the following year, the, the summer I, I think is very important for evaluating players for, for the following year. And you're really condensing that window from what the, the draft ends on July, July 13th. 13th is the third yeah, day. So, you know, yep. so PG national will be, We'll start July 14th, 14th the, <laughs> the <laughs> next day. day. But then, you know, how many weeks do you really have to evaluate players between then and, and the end of summer when, when kids go back to school? Obviously, there's, you know, there's the Worldwood Bat in, in Jupiter and there's, you know, like the Future Star Series has, you know, it usually has an event or, or has an event every year now, um, you know, usually September, October, mm-hmm. around that time. So there's there's some other things that go on but there's you're really condensing the window to to evaluate players for the following year over the summer and i think sometimes like the truth is just sometimes players just get run down (laughs) by the end of it too i mean you have kids who are 17 years old who's some of them their season started in february so yeah, I mean, minor league players get run down by the end of the year. We we see it too for players in who who get drafted and sign and then go to the Gulf Coast League or or the Arizona League or whatever we're calling those leagues now. I, I guess they changed the name. The but, Arizona Complex and Florida Complex leagues. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Yeah, or or, or even college players too who are older and, and more physically mature. A lot of times they sign and it's like, gee, all right, well, I don't know how much stock to put in some of these reports where it just looks like a guy is is totally run down or we mm-hmm. see in the Arizona Fall League too with, with minor league players. So sometimes you're not even seeing a guy at full strength if you're seeing him in in August. Um, but you know, it's not always the case, but that is when some of the big events are <laughs> like the area code games and, and East coast pro. So it's, it, it definitely condenses that window. I think when you're, if, if you're, if you want to, if you're having your focus on the 2021 draft class only, which mm-hmm. is where it, you know, a lot of your focus should be, cause that's when you have <laughs> to make, you know, multi-million dollar decisions on, on guys. Yeah, no, I think you hit all that on on the head there. And just from kind of our underclass uh, rankings perspective, I'm really excited for kind of to get further into rolling out underclass rankings. I know that's an area that that readers are really excited about. Everyone seems to just want to know, like, who is next at a younger and younger age. And I do think there's there's a limit to that. Like you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to get to the point where you're ranking middle school players, obviously. But I'm excited about the idea of uh, just us at Baseball America getting more extensive histories with some of these players. So by the time some of these 2023s are draft eligible, you're going to have a pretty good understanding of what their high school career has been like. Um, are they guys who really popped early, like a Thomas White maybe, um, and is one of the better players 
in the class and in the country as, as just a sophomore in high school, or are they players who pop later? And how does that kind of factor into a scouting report and just the knowledge that we have at Baseball America? And for you as readers, I'm, I'm really excited to start getting more aggressive with those lists and just delving more into some of these players at a younger age. Um, it's really exciting for me and hopefully for you guys as well. So look forward to those lists. Um, but kind of pivoting back to the pro side here, you mentioned the Futures game rosters have been announced. And uh, at the time you guys are listening to this podcast, you can go check out the Futures game rosters, uh, see which players on your favorite team or just which prospects in general are, are on the clubs. Actually, do you, want, do you want to run through the rosters here, Ben, or do you just want to talk about some of the players who you're most excited to see? Because we can run through it a little bit, although I don't know if that's the best audio for, for listeners. Do, do, do you are you asking if I should name every player on the we could run we could run it down and as I go you can give me a full scouting report on every player how about that uh you're gonna pass on talk that one? about some of the guys we're we're most excited yeah. to see because there's there's about 40 50 guys who are going to the futures game That's I think I think good. the rosters are are good this year I mean there's always a you know look there's a handful of guys you're like I don't quite understand why <laughs> This well, you've been, you've been covering team. this event for, for many years. I guess before we get into specific players, how, how do you feel like the field compares to a typical field for a Futures game? I think it's pretty strong. I think it's pretty strong. I mean, most of the guys who who I want to see are are there. I mean, again, like, you know, Grayson Rodriguez of the Orioles is probably the best pitching prospect in baseball. He's not there. Okay, like uh, Gabriel Moreno, Blue Jays catcher who's having a – a breakout year. I'd, you know, mm-hmm. I'd like to see him there. I think a lot of people would like to see him there, but um, I don't know, like Adley Rushman and Tyler Soderstrom, like there's some good Francisco Alvarez, mm-hmm. uh, there's good, good catchers there. So yeah, I mean, there's always guys and, and look, the teams also have to approve the players going. So that's, that's also a factor. And obviously every team is only limited to every, every team has to be represented in, and each team is, I think, limited to, I think, two players. You know, sometimes they make some exceptions, especially for, for the home team. But I think the lame rule, by the way, to me, just going to jump in. I think that's a lame rule. Same with the All Star game. If you have no All Stars, you shouldn't have an All Star. <laughs> uh, but like for the feature, I mean, the features game is for the features game. I guess I you could be a little bit more lenient. But like, what if we, I'm sure we've run into this before, where some systems, the very worst system is baseball, is just barren. Maybe maybe I'm exaggerating how bad some of the worst systems get in terms of like having one guy who deserves to be there. But what if you run into a situation where the best prospect in the worst farm system significantly uh, below the rest of the field? You still think that team should be represented? Well, that would be an issue with the Rockies hosting the game this year. <laughs> not a, not a impact to to pick from, but um, but I, I mean, I, I think it's good to have it. Look, I mean, the game is not, it's it's not a, it's not based on performance, right? It's yeah. obviously because Jason Dominguez is is there, and I, I was don't wondering think how he, long it would take for uh, his name to get brought up because he's probably. I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to say he's the most anticipated prospect in baseball, right? And and there probably aren't very many players now that just meet that criteria because everyone else is pretty much rolling. But I was thrilled uh, that he was on the roster. I mean, he's one of the more famous prospects in baseball. 
everyone is just waiting to see what he's going to do. And an event like this, which is designed to highlight future stars of the game, I think it's fantastic. I'm really, really excited to see how he fits in with with this field of players and beside guys like Julio Rodriguez. I mean, when I saw Julio Rodriguez, Bobby Witt Jr. and Austin Martin were in the game, I was pretty content. Everything else is uh, is gravy for me. But Even though no Garrett Mitchell, who is raking, by the way. Yeah, he is raking. I mean, he, he, he we should get him on there. I mean, yeah, he, he probably could be there too. I love that guy. But, you know, we can't have all of my favorites there. Wouldn't be fair. We got but the yeah, main but, three. I mean, Dominguez, and I'm probably, I might be like the only writer who's seen Jason Dominguez. I don't know who else has been maybe to brag a little bit. Why don't you, Ben? Extended spring training and, and seen him. But I mean, even for me, the last time I saw him was, 2019 so it's been it's been a while i think he's yeah he's the yankees best prospect he's he's extremely talented sure he he hasn't played yet and he's the same age as these high school players who were talking about going in in the draft in a couple weeks but the futures game should be at least in part who do you want to see play the most and that's the guy i mean there's, there's a lot of players I want to see, but we've also seen a lot already from, you know, like you said, like from Bobby Witt Jr. or C.J. Abrams, Francisco Alvarez. Uh, you know, I'm excited to see Marco Luciano. We've, we've seen a lot of these guys. I think Dominguez is probably the guy people want to see the most. Just because just there is some little, so little history and so few recent looks at him outside of or aside from people who are in that organization you i'm really glad that you're on this podcast and you so frequently kind of tie the international players to their domestic contemporaries in terms of age because realizing that jason dominguez is younger than jordan lawler and marcelo meyer by a decent amount still kind of like blows my mind a little bit i think it's easy to forget how young these guys are on the international side compared to some of the prospects that are, are yet to be an affiliated ball. I think that's a good reminder though. Yeah. And then, and then prospect fatigue hits earlier with 100%. those guys. So by the time they're, I mean, we saw it with Vlad jr. Last year where people were, you know, saying he was overrated and i was like he's the same age as spencer torkelson who we just <laughs> took as the first overall pick i would definitely take and i love spencer torkelson and i'm excited that spencer torkelson is is gonna be there so um but yeah it's uh, i i think it's and even in vlad's case where he had basically zero failure until hit the the major leagues but he, he, even before that wait wait zero failure until the major leagues when did he fail in the majors right yeah even that is like <laughs> quote unquote failure yeah. but more well, speaking people. of lad we have to uh we have to check the the war leaderboards because right now my breakout hitter of the year is at 4.6 on Fangraphs war and the next best player is at 3.8 so he's got an absolutely commanding lead is over that the including otani's combined no, that would be just be the hitters. Let's okay. see if we can figure out Otani's combined. Uh, I'm going to go to his player page and see, but I'm curious what his would be. Um, 
Let's see here. So hitting war, I believe, is 3.2. And then pitching war, I think I have to click another tab here. Uh, here we go. Pitching war is 1.3. So I think that would put 3.2, 1.3. What was Vladdy's? Going back to it. Oh. Uh, so Otani would be at 4.5, right? And Vladdy would be at 4.6. So Vladdy still has him by a tick. That's a spicy race right there. Yeah, that's a good one. But uh, we don't we don't have to talk about Vladdy too much. I just wanted to uh, just again note that my breakout hitter of the year is dominating baseball. Just no. want to pat myself on the back again. Exactly. Yeah. Really uh, out of the box pick there by myself. But I will say you're you you've always been a big Tyler Soderstrom mm-hmm. fan, and he's a he's he's a futures gamer. I'm really excited to see because he. Yeah, the AL catchers. Let's talk about those guys for a little He's bit. Been outstanding. Yeah, you outstanding. mentioned. Yeah, well, I guess I'll just let you go on about Tyler Soderstrom. What about him has been impressive? I mean, not, since he's come up and gotten into pro ball, I mean, and this isn't to say that this wasn't the case prior to him being an affiliated ball, but he is an offensive oriented catcher. Uh, and it just seems like he's living up to expectations that were put on the bat. Right now, he's hitting 311, 397, 554 with eight homers um in low a over 44 games so i mean that's impressive adley rushman who we've also talked about is in double a now he's hitting 284 423 515 with 11 homers and 46 games with bowie so both of those guys really impressive uh offensive catchers obviously adley rushman we, we really haven't talked about him a lot on this podcast um but it's good to see that he's performing I guess I'll just let you take it away. What do you want to talk about with these guys? Yeah, Soderstrom. I mean, the reviews from him or reviews on him last year from the alternate site and instructional league that we got and and especially Mark tracked down were like almost like too good to be true <laughs> type type stuff. And it looks very, very legitimate. Uh glad we put him as their number one prospects in the a system coming into the year because yeah like you said offensive minded catcher it's and it's been a really really good offense it's it seems like even i mean i i hope he can catch and and stay behind the plate but it's it's one of those things where i'm pretty good confidence that even if you have to move him off the position for for whatever reason down the road he could that bat's going to play at a corner outfield spot potentially if, if he even needed to move him there. But yeah, it seems like feel for hitting. It's, it seems like he's got an idea of, of the strike zone and he's, he's hitting for power. It's, you know, to get that type of player at 26 overall, who's already now, you know, keeps moving up our top 100. He's probably going to move up again when we, when we do another update. I suspect that's, you know, obviously they paid over a slot to, to get them, but still to get that type of player who, if they, you know, if you redrafted the draft again today, he's not making it to 26. <laughs> yeah. And again, I think I mentioned this before, but Soderstrom was a name who kind of leading up to the draft and a few days before it and, and on draft day, there were some, there was some buzz that he might be a potential underslot guy among the top 10 picks. So I'm curious if the teams who are considering that or, are regretting that now um obviously there were some good guys that were picked among the top 10 as well but no he's been really impressive 
Um, one player that I wanted to touch on who, who I'm really excited about and who has been just a monster so far in a little bit less time than, than Adley and Tyler Sutterstrom have is Julio Rodriguez. Um, I'm obviously very high on him. I think that's been established on the podcast so far. Um, but he looks like the real deal. And it sounds like some of the reports we're getting on him this season are consistent with kind of what we thought of him last year with our reports in the prospect handbook. I mean, his, his power upside is just tremendous. Uh, through 28 games in high A, he hit 325, 410, 581, six home runs, eight doubles. Uh, and I believe he's, he got promoted to double A, right? He hasn't played a game there yet, but he's going to be there soon. Is that, is that the case? Yeah, they promoted him to, okay. to double A. I was kind of surprised he wasn't there to start the season, but either way, he's there now. Yeah, I guess he had 17 games in 2019. Um, I don't know what we think of the Dominican Winter League and what kind of competition that is. Uh, but yeah, I guess he wasn't there too long. Maybe that's the only saving grace you have there with Seattle, but I don't know. We, we'll see him in double A now, and he's certainly more than age appropriate for the level, for both levels. He was three years younger than the average hitter in high A while he was there, which again, the age for some of these guys is crazy. He's still just 20 years old, but he's a guy that I'm really excited to see kind of on this stage with all these other young stars. And I really feel like he's got a chance to be one of the best players in the game at his peak. Um, yeah, just a very okay. another guy is a very complete hitter. Just mm -hmm. somebody who I think is going to be, I mean, at least a a plus hitter in the future with seventy, if not potentially eighty power. I mm -hmm. mean, it's pretty close to that as just in terms of raw power right now. I remember seeing him when he was fifteen, and he had huge, huge power for his age already then just a lot of bat speed big frame you could tell he's just going to be really big really strong and grow into the type of power that mm -hmm. that he has right now but beyond just like you know there's there's a lot of guys who can hit the ball really far as well he just had a really good swing at the time he obviously still does have a, a really good swing it's only gotten better in his his maturity as a hitter is, is extremely high, especially for somebody who's still 20 years old and, and out, you know, and, and had an injury last year. So he, he missed, you know, there was no official games obviously, but, but missed time at the, mm -hmm. the alternate site, but he just seems like a, a really advanced and, and pretty complete. Yeah. There's not really a ton of holes in his offensive game that, that you can pick i think he has a good idea of the strike zone he, he makes pretty consistent contact it's it's not you know super super high bat to ball skill but he makes pretty consistent contact he has a ton of power he's he's gonna draw walks he has a good idea of the strike zone uh you know i, I think he's gonna be at least a plus hitter who, who gets on base at a high clip and, and could be a 30 potentially 40 40 plus type home run guy mm-hmm are there any pitchers who stand out to you as guys you're really excited to see or names that you feel like we should highlight here? Some of the pitchers, I mean, Rolancy Contreras is having a, a huge breakout year. Mm -hmm. The Yankees traded him to, to the Pirates. His, his stock has really 
gone up more velocity, good breaking ball. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see, I think a lot of people are curious to see how he looks this year. Kate Cavalli for the nationals has come mm-hmm. out and been just totally dominant. <laughs> I think Matt Eddie has been, been pretty early on him and a mm-hmm. big proponent of his and, uh, yeah, he's been he's banging been, the drum for Koali and yeah, looks pretty, smart because of it. Pretty, pretty spot on. And and then Shane Boz too with with the Rays. I mean, credit the Pirates for trading for Contreras, and then obviously the <laughs> previous regime uh, with uh, giving up Boz, not looking so <laughs> so hot <laughs> among other things. But um, but obviously, I mean, we always knew we had really good good stuff to to say the least. But the difference he, the difference that we're seeing this year in his control mm-hmm. is pretty remarkable. I think he's still under, I think he's still in single digits in, in walks for the year. And that was always kind of one of his red flags. He walked a lot of guys. Some people thought he was going to end up in the bullpen, but I don't see any reason why that should happen now. Mm-hmm. One of the guys that I'm excited about on the man on the mound is Cole Wynn, um, mm. Rangers right-handed pitcher who was the third high school right-hander taken in the 2018 draft, which was really loaded with high school pitching that year. But he was a guy who kind of struggled in his pro debut in 2019, um, really didn't live up to the expectations that maybe you had on him pre-draft. But this year, he's been really impressive in double-A. Over nine starts, he's got a 2.27 ERA with better strikeout and walk rates. Uh, We had heard good stuff um, about what he was throwing last summer in the instructional league. Um, And his results are good. I don't have a lot of specific information on kind of the stuff we're hearing so far this spring. You might, Ben, but just the performance is really encouraging to me. And if he's kind of back to being the guy that everyone was expecting coming out of the high school, I feel like that's a really exciting arm for Rangers fans to uh, just kind of keep tabs on Um, glad to see him succeeding. So he was one of the guys who maybe doesn't have as much uh, prospect hype as some other names around them, because again, I feel like you, you might get a little bit of prospect fatigue with a guy who was drafted in 2018 and and didn't really meet expectations his during his debut season, but um, really excited to see what he can bring to the table. I think he's got a chance to have a really good, four pitch mix, maybe not the loudest pure stuff of everyone who's going to be in this game, but four solid pitches. Um, and again, solid control. He struggled with his walks in his debut and it looks like he's made some progress in that department so far this year. Uh, so that was one of the names that I was excited to see on this roster. Um, and just excited to see what he's able to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, on like you said, he's not going to come in and blow up the radar gun but mm-hmm. Luis Medina will <laughs> I don't you know I I hope he can throw strikes but certainly in, in a futures game setting where guys are coming in and throwing one inning and not mm-hmm. having to worry about pacing themselves at Absolutely. all he's, he, he's gonna come in and I suspect he'll be I suspect he'll be the hardest thrower at that game. Uh, Hunter Green is not on the Futures game roster, but Luis Medina, I suspect we'll see several fastballs of 100-plus miles an hour. And he's not just a a one-trick pony either. I mean, he has 
really good breaking ball, good off-speed stuff too. It's just a matter of being able to corral and harness that stuff within the strike zone, but certainly seeing him just air it out for one inning mm-hmm. in the futures game, <laughs> it could be pretty electric. What do you think people should take away from futures game performances? I mean, I feel like it's very easy to kind of read into this stuff, but I think for me at the end of the day, it's just an exhibition game. So I think more than anything, I would encourage people just to have fun with it and not try to draw any conclusions from what happens similar to any one game sample, obviously. Um, But, but is there anything for, for maybe fans who are trying to learn more about these prospects or, um, or just maybe aren't exposed to them a lot that are going to be watching this game and anything that you would point out to them to either look for um, or to keep in mind as they're watching? I think it used to have more importance as a, as a game just for evaluating players, maybe, maybe 10 years ago, because I mean, you, you didn't have the, the ubiquitous video and, and information on players at that time that that we do now. So even just getting updated velocities on guys or, or seeing players in person was was a bigger deal than it probably is right now. So but but still uh, you know going and you know seeing batting practice, seeing how these guys swings work, uh seeing them in the game is is good not so much oh he went you know two for two with a double or he you know went over two with a strikeout or something it's not that important but for you know for pitchers you, you can get a, a feel at least for how their stuff works but at the same time you don't want to take away too too much just from one exhibition game but it is pretty awesome to have all of these players who, you know, I think it's like 30 or something of our top 100 prospects are going to be there. You don't really have that opportunity anywhere else. I mean, even even the Arizona Fall League, you're not going to see that all in in one game ever. So um, just the opportunity to see all these players at once is, is very convenient. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good call. Just the amount of concentrated talent you get on one field in one game is – is pretty impressive. We shouldn't take that for granted. Are there any other names that you wanted to mention uh, before we move on to some other stuff, Ben? Um, Cause I think we've hit on some of the, the guys I was more excited about. I'm sure there are some guys still that we haven't touched on that, that merit conversation, but I don't think we're going to spend the whole podcast on futures game stuff unless you want to. I mean, we could spend a whole podcast just talking about Hadley Rushman if you want. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like about, I mean, talk about Soderstrom and Julio Rodriguez is very, complete players. I don't know what holes you can really poke in Adley Rushman's game mm-hmm. <laughs> right now. I mean, maybe he doesn't run that. I mean, whatever, he's a catcher, <laughs> but like other than that, it's it just just look at how well he's hitting this year going straight to double A. He's he's walking more than he's striking out. He's got an on-base over 400. He's got 11 home runs already. It's, you know, 284, 423, 515. It and in double A this year, it's you know, switch hitter is he can potentially be a, a plus if if not plus plus hitter. Great eye for the strike zone. He has power. 
it's I think everything you can ask for <laughs> pretty much mm-hmm. in in a hitter. Oh, and he can catch and not just, you know, stick behind the plate. He could be a plus defensive catcher too. So there's not too many holes <laughs> that you can poke in Adley Rushman's game and the 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 upside is there for him to be a a franchise cornerstone type guy yeah and it's nice to know that like he's kind of continuing to to show every tool in the box like you were saying the only the only tool that you can look at and say maybe he doesn't have is is speed and that was the case coming out of the draft i think out of the draft every single tool that he had we projected as plus outside of speed and like you were saying for a catcher it really isn't the most important tool that you have. I mean, everything else that he does is more than enough to, to create value and to, to become a consistent all-star caliber player. Um, and it is encouraging that, that he's just kind of showing that um, at the double a level, like you said, jumping from, I believe he was just in the South Atlantic league in 2019. And that was the highest level that he was at and only for about 12 games. So I mean, we kind of expect a guy who is as highly touted as Adley just to kind of coast through the minors. I think that's the general bar that we we kind of put for these guys and just expect them to clear. Uh, but it's nice to see, to see him doing it on both sides of the ball, hitting for power, uh, showing the plate discipline, like you said. He's throwing out 33% of base runners against him in AA, which is impressive as well. His numbers have been <laughs> a lot better than that at, at various stints in the past, but I am curious to see what kind of a defender he's going to be at the big league level because he has all the tools in the box to to do everything that you would need to receive at a high level, to frame at a high level, call games, block pitches. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Adley is certainly the best draft prospect that I've covered, uh, and he was one of the better draft prospects in a long time during his draft year in 2019. And it seems like he's just kind of living up to those expectations. Yeah, I think as soon as Wander Franco graduates, we're talking about the number one prospect here. Although mm-hmm. I know you might make a case for for your boy Julio. Yeah, I think you can make a case for them, but I think it's probably the same situation that that I was in in the preseason before we started going, where I really think all three of these guys you could make cases for them, and obviously Wander is uh just seems like he's kind of a different animal, so. I would definitely not fight against any of them being number one or at the top, but yeah, future, uh, future number one prospect, Adley Rushman kind of doing it all. Yeah. I don't, uh, like I said, like <laughs> we, we try to look for holes in a player's game and, and assess the risk and see what can go wrong. And I mean, you know, I wouldn't, Matt Weeders obviously what... was, was mm-hmm. had sky high expectations as well. And I think he's had a pretty good major league career, even though, and, and had some, you know, really good mm-hmm. peak, peak years too, of being a, I think a well above average major league player, a, a gold Glover multiple times mm-hmm. who uh, hit at a, you know, pretty yeah. high level for, for a catcher in his, his prime, even though he didn't kind of reach the peak that maybe, we and a lot of other folks thought he he might hit so look, mm-hmm. there, there's always some risk but uh, i mean the 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 floor i think is still so high with mm-hmm. with adley rushman and and the upside is is a guy who ends up in in cooperstown i think 
Yeah, I think the Weeders conversation is interesting just because Adley was, I mean, at the time of the draft, people considered him to be the best catching prospect since Weeders or since Buster Posey. And I think those guys were a year apart, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but like you said, Weeders was a four-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove Award winner. And yet everyone kind of looks back at him and thinks that he was a bit of a bust or didn't live up to expectations. What do you think Adley is going to have to do over his career to meet the very high expectations that people are going to have on him? Like what sort of a career are you looking at? Is, is that even a question that, that you feel like we can answer at this point? Because there is, and we've done this with Steven Strasburg and we've done this with Bryce Harper. There is a weird conversation around players like meeting expectations, even if they are very good baseball players or even well above average baseball players when you get some of the hype that some of these guys have gotten, it can be very tough to live up to that. Yeah. I think for, like for some people, if he, he doesn't end up as good as Buster Posey, I mean, they'll probably end up being disappointed. So that's, that's just, yeah. Part of it is just the weight of expectations of being, I mean, the number two prospect and, and probable at some point in the near future, number one, overall prospect in, in baseball. I mean, he, I mean, maybe he has like uh I'm trying to think of like, like, a, I don't know, like a Victor Martinez type career. Would people be disappointed in that? I don't know. Like he was a pretty good player, but uh, maybe people are expecting him to even be better than that, which, which he could be. I mean, I, again, like I said, I, he has the upside to be the best catcher in, in baseball for, for a lot of years, I think he could be as have as good of a career too, as, as Buster Posey has well, had, I think, but I think you kind of just got to it. Like, because he has the upside to be that if, if he, if he is not the best catcher in baseball for like, I don't know, I don't know what the period of time it is, but I mean, everyone is going to expect him to be that guy pretty much as soon as he gets to the big league. So I'm just kind of always fascinated about, the expectations that we put on players and and how we evaluate them and assess them based on those expectations. It's definitely not always fair, uh, but I think in Adley's case, the uh, the hype is is warranted. He's a very special talent, uh, and I can't wait to see him in the big leagues. Yeah. But we can move on to maybe some draft stuff. Um, we were talking about with the Futures game, how cool it was to get a lot of concentrated talent on one field think that is the the ultimate end goal for the draft combine i think this year again when you talk about like expectations your thoughts on the draft combine this year might um vary depending on what your expectations were i think mine were probably pretty low going into this i just didn't expect many of the top players to be at this event just because a lot of these guys are kind of baked in their value and didn't really need to prove anything by going at least participating in a lot of the on-field stuff that happened at the combine but I was I was pretty presently pleasantly surprised with the uh the field of players there were a number of guys on the BA 500 were who were at the event uh a couple guys who have a chance to go in the first round I think Colson Montgomery uh shortstop out of Indiana high school shortstop out of Indiana and Matthew Nelson um two of the more prominent guys that I was able to put eyes on in person at the event um, but I thought it was a pretty solid event for getting a lot of the second and third tier players and, and putting them on the field 
and giving scouts an opportunity to kind of get some some last minute looks at these guys. Um, I guess Ben, what were your thoughts on the combine? I know you obviously weren't in attendance, but but what are your thoughts on like what this event should be? Um, and and did you think? I guess did you agree with me, or do you disagree that the field was pretty solid for a first year of the event? Because I do think it's it's also worth noting that like a lot of this stuff is year one. Um, so I imagine there are going to be some bumps in the road in terms of scheduling and getting the guys you want, but I, I was pretty pleasantly surprised with the field. Yeah. Like you said, it's, it's year one. So hopefully they can build on this and make mm-hmm. it better in the future. Truthfully, it, you were there in person for the combine, mm-hmm. right? I was not, you know, it's in Cary, North Carolina. So it's right in BA's backyard. So we had a few folks there i was trying to follow it from you know the mlb streaming mm-hmm. of it but i mean they got to do a better job with that it just it it they didn't i don't think they did a very good job at all the, the games they they were trying to stream the games and it was mm-hmm. from a camera that looked like it was set up in I don't know, maybe like from the BA office or something practically <laughs> like it was, it's like I can't see. I think it was above the bleachers on the first base side. Yeah. Which is like, all right, if or it's some random seating. high school varsity game, like, all right, that's, that's all right. I get it. But it was like the MLB combine. And then they were, they had one day where they were streaming a bunch of like BP and other stuff. And it's kind of hard to follow what <laughs> was going on. I did like that. They had some of the, the, metrics or the track man stuff mm-hmm. on during bp i hope they do that during the futures game i imagine they won't but that would be proprietary <laughs> uh, you know, information ben you can't be handing that out for free right so you know but that like that would be really cool if they would do that at the futures game if, if mm-hmm. you just had you know if you had exit velocity and exit angle or distance or some of the other metrics that you can put up there right after each hitter swings in mm-hmm. BP at the futures game. Like that'd be pretty cool to have on Julio Rodriguez and Marco Luciano and, and Spencer Torkelson and, and um, you know, even like Vidal Brujan, I'd be curious what a smaller guy like him who's mm-hmm. coming into some power would be, would be doing in BP, especially when some of these guys are, you know, out there trying to hit home runs and not just take their, their normal free mm-hmm. game. BP at the futures game. So I, I did like that on the broadcast, but otherwise, you know, I was thinking, did you, did you watch much of the, the MLB network the day that, where they put it on network and they were uh, doing some broadcasting from there, just outside of the streaming. That was, I was, yeah, I was, it was the stream of, it was a stream of the MLB network. Okay. Yeah. Like I so saw, I wasn't watching it on like actual cable TV, but mm-hmm. they were streaming the MLB network broad uh broadcast of like the bp and what did you think the stuff. what did you think because me and jj were there watching it in person on the day they had mlb network crew and everything out there and i was kind of curious to see like how that event would play from a fan perspective and just someone who maybe wants to watch the event like fans of the nba and the nfl watch the their draft combines i just feel like it's tough with baseball to make that a product that's entertaining in and of itself. And maybe I'm, I'm doing it a, a bit of discrediting it, but it just seems tough to make it exciting to watch a bunch of guys take BP and 
take in and out and run the bases and throw from the outfield and do catcher pop times. I don't know that it'll ever be a very exciting TV product. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think it would be more fun if they were to televise some of the games that were actually being played. Cause the high school 100%. guys did, the high school guys did play in a number of games throughout the event. And, and hopefully, I don't know if this is, if this would be practical, practical for college guys who just finished their college season, but I would love to see some of the college guys in games as well. And maybe even get a, an opportunity where you've got mixed teams where you have high school kids and college kids on the same team or on opposing teams. So you can really see how, how the tools and the skill level um, is either different for, for players or maybe some of the high school players, you'll see how they really um, don't really stand out that far from their college counterparts but i am curious to see where this event goes in the future in terms of the talent that they're able to bring in and in terms of like what does the television product become because it's hard for me to get a read on that second point after like being there in person and just taking a bunch of notes the whole time but yeah my thought was i don't know like this would the nfl combine would never be broadcast <laughs> or or streams this way the the i think just the quality has to get better and and the really like you said it, it should be show the game like it's a 60 yard dash i don't want to watch <laughs> that i again I, I did think the bp was cool so like yeah i mean the more they want to stream with with a high quality broadcast like they had when when they brought in mlb network as far as the production and mm -hmm. and all that not that you know camera like the iPhone four stuck up <laughs> in the press box or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, you can't, I can't really follow a game that way. So the more they want to do it that way, the, the better with the higher quality production feed and, and especially the games like that's, I want to see the pitchers. I want to see how these guys do in, in games. If I'm, mm -hmm. if I'm watching from afar, so I can try to, you know, pick out who I like. One of the things that I really liked too was, was the bullpen session. There was one day where a bunch of the college pitchers that came in just got on the stadium mound and threw like a 20 or 30 pitch bullpen session and just kind of one after the other. I thought it was great kind of bang for your buck value to see a lot of these guys um, just throwing in front. I mean, Eric Sarantola was there. Tommy Mace was there. I don't know if he pitched that day actually, but there were uh, just a ton of pitchers who are on the BA 500 um, and a couple of guys who aren't, who are still interesting. Um, that we're throwing. I thought that was useful. Not sure if that is something that'd be a great TV product, but for my purposes, I love sitting there and just watching because I don't actually know that I've ever seen an event. I mean, you can obviously always go and watch guys take their actual bullpen in the bullpen, but it was kind of useful. I thought to see these guys get up on the mound and just go through their pitch mix and work for 30 pitches um, one after another. That was interesting to me. Um, but yeah, I, th I thought the event was solid, um, and we'll see where it goes from here. Do you think they get better? Because I didn't. It didn't seem like there were that. Well, I know like Braden Montgomery was there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, he was there. So Alex Lowe was there. Um, Peyton Wilson was there, who was actually really impressive at the event. He played a number of positions. Uh, he was actually catching for one of the bullpen se sessions, and he looked pretty good behind the play. It looked pretty natural. I'm um, just scrolling through our list here to see who else is there. Malachi Knight was there. He took BP. Uh, Matthew Nelson, who I already mentioned. Alex Benelis was there. Um, 
Judd Fabian was there, although I think I missed his day if he got on the field. Um, I believe he might have been either late Friday or Saturday. Um, so, yeah, I thought – and the thing is, like, I don't know if this necessarily needs to be an event where guys like Marcelo Meyer and Jordan Lawler and Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker are out there on the field taking reps. Like, maybe there are going to be people who always criticize it if that's not the case, but I, I don't really know that every event needs to be – we have to get all of the first round guys because I mean, they've got plenty of attention. They've got plenty of looks. What is, what does a guy like lighter or rocker really need to do or to prove at this point? And obviously there'll be some cases where the top pitching prospect in the class isn't pitching in the college world series and their season might've ended a while earlier, but I think it's fine if the event just has a bunch of guys who are going to be drafted in the, late first or second through 10 rounds maybe that's just kind of the ba guy in me because we always get really excited about the depth players and just going deep on our list but i I don't know that it necessarily needs to be all of the top players i mean do does trevor lawrence go to the nfl draft combine and throw around on the field i don't really think he does Uh, so I, i don't really know what are your yeah, I don't, on that? I don't, th- yeah, I don't think you need to have the, you know, top five overall type picks going there. I would, you know, it would be cool if you had more players who probably will end up going in the back of the first rounds there and, and see how they do against players who will be, you know, second, third round type picks, just see them in get them, get them in it for recent looks against higher quality competition than they're probably seeing in the summer, but teams can also bring those guys in for private workouts too. (laughs) So I, I think there's a lot more time for teams to bring players in for private workouts now with a draft pushback a month. So absolutely. I know that's been one of the challenges for teams is trying to figure out what they're doing with all this time. Are yeah, they so going I, to spend more time doing workouts? Are they going to spend more time doing player interviews? Are they going to spend more time just kind of going over their reports on players and just talking through guys more? Like teams figuring out what the best usage of this extra time has definitely been something that they're kind of talking about and trying to figure out this year. Yeah, or keep track of 2022s. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> or all the above um, somehow. But I do. I mean, I think it's a good opportunity for, I mean, somebody like Owen Kellington, right? A right-handed pitcher from – Vermont who I mean UConn quite quite a recruiting class I don't know how much they're going to keep between Frank Mazzucato and and Owen Kellington and and some other guys but I mean Owen Kellington is pitching up in practically up in Canada way up north in Vermont and he's you know 90-93 with a pretty good breaking ball and he's also facing kids that are you know high-fiving each other if when they come back to the dugout, if they put a ball in play against him, so <laughs> or maybe yeah, make like contact, yeah, loud so foul ball. <laughs> I want to see him against some better competition because, like, I, I don't know, is is and, and I think a lot of it's good for a lot of national level decision makers or or evaluators from clubs to be able to just fly into Cary, North Carolina, and and see him there among a lot of other players a lot easier to get there than to fly into Boston then drive you know three plus hours <laughs> north to go see him pitch against really uh, 
subpar competition, I think is fair to say. So, um, you know, I think it's an opportunity for guys like him or, or some other guys who maybe are a, a little bit more under the radar are, are maybe not the top priority guys for area scouts to see, especially for, for the high school guys, but maybe just those lack of looks in the spring are, are hurting their stock more so than, than their talent. So they could go to the draft combine. Everybody sees them there. They, they perform really well in, in the game or, or they look really good in the workout part of the showcase. And that can really help their stock too, or it could go the other way. And you're like, uh, all right, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll keep this guy a little bit further down our board too. Yeah. And I think that last point that you mentioned is really why I, I don't ever see a lot of the kind of top of the first round guys showing up because like, what's the upside for a guy like that who already by most rankings and just conversations with teams that advisors are going to be having, or is kind of already in that top 15 range. Like it really seems like a case where advisors are going to try and mitigate that risk of showing up to an event like this and maybe plummeting your draft stock, which is part of the reason I don't think that any of the top 10 guys would ever really need or, or want to come to an event like this. I mean, I would love to get a player who just wants to play at every event and doesn't care. And just a real gamer, um, go to these events and be like, I'm not going to ever complain about seeing a guy like that on a field at an event like this, but I just don't think there's a lot of incentives. Were for there, that. you said there were some guys who showed up and didn't do the on-field stuff. There were players who were on the list. If you go to USA baseball, you can see the full list of guys who were invited to the combine and number of players were just there because there were, there were other things or going accepted, on outside of on-field. Sorry. Accepted invites, not, not just invited though. Yep, exactly. Accepted right. invites and maybe came and just did a medical evaluation or maybe just came and met with teams. Um, there was another uh, venue where there was athletic testing going on. So speed stuff. Um, I think some like vertical leap stuff, strength stuff, maybe Gadget eye day. testing yeah. stuff. Yeah, all, all of that stuff that is just not taking place on the field. There were players who took part in various events. And I think the players can kind of just say what they wanted to take part in this year. Uh, like, I don't think there was any, and I could be wrong here, but I mean, there were certainly a lot of players who showed up and weren't, weren't doing a lot of that stuff. Like Jaden Hill was on the list of players who accepted invites. Sam Bachman was on the list. And I imagine those guys were Jaden Hill didn't get on the mound and no, throw and surprise everybody. He did not get on the bump no. and throw. Um, but I imagine those guys either came for, for medical testing or just to meet with some teams prior to the draft, which. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. It's convenient. Yeah. yeah if you just want to meet, have a bunch of meetings in person, especially if your guy's like a super personable, mm -hmm. um, you know, if, as an agent, if your guy's like a super personable uh, player, then like, yeah, we yeah. <laughs> want him to be there and, and make a good impression. So that actually is, if I was MLB, you're right. Like, I, I don't think the event really needs to have those top five, top 10 overall, Mm -hmm. picks there but if i were mlb i actually would put on a pretty strong press next year to try to get those top 10 type overall picks to come to the draft even if you work out something where they're just flying in 
and maybe you're giving them a whole bunch of gear and <laughs> publicity and social media clips for them to have and um and all that stuff so they're not maybe if they don't want to do any on-field stuff and damage their stock okay yeah. but just come in and do a lot of publicity because i think a lot of a lot of other high school players i know from talking to some of them they're like yeah like jordan lawler's not going right like marcelo <laughs> myers not go like yeah some of these other top guys like khalil watson brady Howard, like they're not going right so well if the top guys aren't going why should i go yeah. Right. So I, I think, think there'd probably be some cool stuff that you could set up with those guys who just come and just get interviewed by the MLB network panel on the field. Like, even if you're not taking place and stuff, like these are all the guys that fans are really excited about um, and are going to be drafted very high. So just, if you got a guy like Jordan Lawler, or Marcelo Meyer, or even like Khalil this year, who's it's basically in his backyard, have him up there talking with Harold or whoever's on the MLB network panel about oh, that should be a no brainer, man. Yeah. Like that, that will just like, you don't have to show off these kids on the field to show their personalities and kind of start start marketing. Just marketing them to to baseball to baseball fans. I mean, I, I think, think that I, could be a, you could do a lot of stuff like that without having these kids actually take part in play. And again, it could be a case where a guy like Marcelo Mayer he's probably exhausted from his season. I mean, those guys in California are getting started in January. Um, so if you want to have a guy like him just come in. And just kind of have a conversation with Harold about what this process has been like for him. What, I mean, just talking to him, I think that could be, that could make for a good television product. And I think it'd be really good to market a lot of these guys who were, were the next stars in the game. Yeah. I think it's marketing young players who are up and coming, not just prospects, but amateur players too. I mean, it's, I, I, I was pretty surprised. I don't know if I should be or not, but just by how many young players were so excited, like young amateur high school players, not just Dominican guys, guys, guys in the United States were so excited by Wander Franco's debut. I mean, and, and I think there are people who are, I mean, there are probably people who are huge fans right now of Jason Dominguez. Uh, and there, there are guys who are huge fans of Bobby Witt Jr., and there are there are people who are big fans of some of these high school players, and and the more MLB can can market these up and coming guys. I mean, I'm thinking about next year already. Like it should be, like they should try to have Elijah Green there. They should try to have. I mean, Drew Jones should be at that event. Son of Andrew Jones, and and one of the top draft prospects on our board for. 2022 even if they're not going just to do some segments with those guys and and help promote those players and then it has the two-pronged effect i think of not just doing that but also getting the attention of other draft prospects who might be on the fence on the fence yep. about right about going and saying oh like elijah green is going like that's pretty okay maybe i should go mm -hmm. to that event and you can rope some more players in so that's my that's my unsolicited advice for for mlb no yeah <laughs> i like it ben i like it i think it's a good idea I'm, I'm also just excited generally um just selfishly that a lot of these events are taking place in carry I, I think that complex is a great place to watch a baseball game the field is fantastic they're investing more in it they've got new uh 
covered cages. I know they got some more plans to do things at the facility, I believe, in, in the future. It wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. They got the PDP League that's going to be there this summer, which is fantastic. I mean, again, like you were saying, it's, it's literally 10, 15 minutes from the BA office. And actually, the, the apartment that I lived in last before I moved to Virginia, it was square in the middle of USA Baseball's complex and the BA office. So I really chose the exact wrong time to move. <laughs> But uh, hopefully I'll be back there in a year or so. But just having all of that so close to, to the BA offices is fantastic for us. And, and for anyone who lives around the area, like there's a lot of stuff that USA Baseball does that's a lot of fun to watch. I know my parents love to come up to the college national team Cuba series when that, that happens typically every year. Um, but I, I think anyone could have just shown up and got a ticket and checked out the combine. So if you're around the area, or you really just love prospects, definitely consider doing something like that because it's a it's a great facility and it's a lot of players who are are going to be household names in five ten years. So, were there any were there any big helium guys coming out of the event? Anybody who yeah kind of helped their their stock there? Yeah, I think one of the guys, and I'm curious how much helium he had, but one guy who really impressed me was Will Rogers, who was a high school catcher out of uh, Minnesota and he is a BA 500 guy kind of in the middle of our list but I was really impressed with his BP every day he took BP it was just tons of really hard contact loud line drives and high fly balls back up the middle Um, he was taking batting practices where you kind of find yourself hearing the bat on the ball even if you're not bearing down and you kind of turn and say oh who's this guy hitting I was impressed with him I think Colson Montgomery is a guy who was at the event who has a lot of helium. I don't know that necessarily his performance um, in workouts was the reason he has helium, but he was there and he is a name who, if you read our most recent mock draft, which hit the site last Friday morning, his name is all over the first round. And it seems like at this point, it would be surprising if he was not a first round pick just with the amount of teams who are kind of tied to him. Um, but he is, and again, we talk about the high school shortstops a lot with this class. I mean, the cover of our draft preview issue was about just how special this high school shortstop class is, but even beyond those guys, there are a lot of really interesting guys, um, who have a chance to be really, really good. Colson Montgomery is an offensive oriented shortstop. He's got a six foot three frame. Um, he's going to probably add some weight. Maybe he's going to be a better fit for third base in the future, but he's got really impressive power from the left side. And it seems like teams are really buying into everything he does offensively. Uh, and while he is old for the class, I think he's going to be, let me see, I'll pull it up here and say exactly. He's going to be 19.4 on draft date. So that would, that would make him one of the older high school players in the class. But I think it, a lot of teams might be thinking of him in a similar way to like a, a Brett Beatty type who the Mets took in the middle of the first round a few years ago. Futures gamer now. Yep. As one of the older players in the class, but really didn't care about that age because there was so much conviction in that left-handed power bat. I think that is how a lot of teams are viewing Colson at this point. So he's one of the guys who was at the event that already had a lot of helium. Um, And then I think the last guy that I would mention is, is Peyton Wilson, just because he stood out in a variety of ways he had maybe one of the better arms from the outfield when he was taking balls and, and, and showing off his arm from the outfield. Um, he plays second base, probably has one of the stronger 
second base arms in the class of people who regularly play second base for Alabama. And I think we wrote in his report that he has a chance to be like a super utility player who can play all over the infield and the outfield um, and how he looked behind the dish. I mean, I think he's got a chance to be able to play every position on the diamond if a team wanted him to do it. So I think he was another guy who jumped out to me. Um, we saw Chase Mason. He showed some really impressive power. I think you also see Chase Mason is a, uh, a really athletic and toolsy high school outfielder out of South Dakota. And this is far and away one of the best years we've had for South Dakota specifically. Typically, that's a state where you don't really have much of any player of note coming out of the area. And this year we have Chase Mason and we have Branson Cool, who is kind of that projectable high school right-handed pitcher, maybe similar to like a Carter Baumler from a year ago. Um, but either way, Mason showed some of the best raw power of the entire field. I think there are a lot of things that he's probably going to need to to fix at the next level in terms of swing. It's a very steep leverage swing where he's clearly selling out for power. And he had a ton of balls that just kind of flew up straight into the, the cage. Um, but he also showed really just massive raw power to the pull side. So I was excited to see him because he is a guy who just hearing from scouts, talk about his tool set, talk about his throwing strength, his raw power, his running ability. Uh, it was fun to put eyes on him and just see what he could do with a baseball when he got it out in front and, and elevated it. Uh, so those are some guys who maybe jumped out to me from that event. Yeah. It sounds like there's, there's some guys who did help them help themselves at that event. And mm -hmm. it's, I mean, this is like the, I mean, I don't know, but like, it's, it's hard to compare, but it, it seems like just this year in general is like the, at least has the potential for all time helium guys overall, just because we didn't have a summer yep. last year for college players. So it's, it seems so like, like Connor Norby is a good example. Of, yep. Like, I wonder what, I, I wonder how high he would have gone had he gone to the Cape. And I guess I'm just assuming he would have hit really well there, which is not a fair assumption to make. Although I do really like his, his hitting ability, but I don't know, like how, how high would Nick Gonzalez maybe have gone in the draft if he hadn't had the cape for people to to back it up versus what i don't know how high would norby or maybe he maybe maybe he still does go in the back of the mm. first round I, I don't know but how high could he go if, if he had gone to the cape last year and and dominated so i, I think it, it just seems like there's a whole there's a big opportunity for guys to to, to really rise and, and beat expectations mm. and move up draft boards or maybe, or maybe that lack of summer history mm -hmm. holds some of them back more than, than they would have if, if they had that summer experience last year. Yeah. I think that's a great call. And I think, I mean, the guy that I had consistently used to talk about that Nick Gonzalez situation was, um, um, I've got almost so many names running through my head now, but, um, Oh, South Alabama outfielder. Why oh. am I blanking on his name right now? Uh, Ethan Wilson. Excuse me. He he is kind of the that classic guy that I pointed to as a what if he was able to show what he could do over the summer 
like Nick Gonzalez because Gonzalez did play against lesser competition. He played in a super um, hitter friendly environment and home park, but a lot of teams were able to feel good about his hitting ability because he performed in the Cape and was one of the better hitters um, in a more neutral environment against some of the better pitcher uh, pitching prospects in the class. Wilson is a guy at South Alabama who plays in a smaller conference, doesn't face the best competition uh, and is, has a very offensive oriented profile. Um, so if a guy like him had a, a summer to play in the Cape or to play for Team USA, just kind of show teams that he can hit no matter where he's at, I think you're probably talking about a guy who's more consistently talked about in the first round. I think Connor Norby is a great example of another guy who is going to get those questions. And I think that you're absolutely right that he could fall into the back of the first round. He, Norby and guys like Tyler Black out of Wright State and Trey Sweeney are all kind of these, these hitters who are fringe first round, second round talents who you could see it going either way, right? Where, where the lack of history and the fact that their profile depends so much on them hitting because they're not playing premium defensive positions, or at least there's some risk that they're going to move off those positions, um, really makes you want to get that hitting evaluation right. Um, at the same time, you have a down year of college hitters in the class. So if you have any thought at all that any of these guys are going to hit at a high level, and Connor Norby has been one of the best offensive performers in college baseball, uh, this year, he hit 415, 484, 659 with 15 home runs, uh, one fewer walk than strikeout. And he's always been a guy who's controlled the zone well um, at ECU in his time with the program. But this year is his first full season, really. And so how do you handle a guy like that who is playing in the American Athletic Conference and you only have one full year of him hitting at this level? It's, it's very tricky, and I can see a lot of teams falling on either side of, like, first round, second round. But at the end of the day, it only takes one team to pop them, and I wouldn't be surprised at all to, to hear any of the names we've just talked about in the back of the first round. But Yeah, it only took one team to pop Nick York in the first exactly. round last year. Another second baseman, and Nick mm -hmm. York was, you know, a high school second baseman. So I think there probably are – teams and, and I don't know, obviously it depends on like how exactly the board lines up and, and who's picking where but I'm I'm certain there are teams that place a very high priority on just on the bat above all other tools significantly uh, I probably would do the same myself if I were in charge of making decisions so I, I could see something where like you said there's not a lot of college hitters it's not like you have a ton of history on on a lot of these guys anyway so the playing field is a little bit more even that way so if if you're gonna take a chance on on a on a college guy who's you know supplementary tools are maybe average ish maybe even a little below that in in some of these other guys cases and yeah I, I could see I could see somebody like Connor Norby or some of those other names that that you mentioned jumping into into the back of the first round. Just like I could see other teams having them significantly lower yep. down down their board based on what they what they prioritize. The Red Sox and Nick York pick is interesting because uh, they didn't have a pick in the second round, so it was first round pick, and then you had to wait till the third round to get to their next pick. Another team 
that's in that situation this year is the Dodgers. They pick at 29, so they have the very last pick of the first round this year with the Astros not having a first-round pick. So I'm curious what kind of route they decide to go with with that situation. They've got, I think, the second-smallest bonus pool um, with $4.5 million, just over $4.5 million to work with. So are they a team who maybe jumps one of these college hitters who who teams seem to think are kind of fringy first round types because they're not going to get a shot at them in the second round. And those guys probably aren't going to be around on the board for their second pick, which is at one Oh one, I believe at the back of the third round, like, like they could easily be a team that pops one of these guys, but we've also, I, mean, I was going to say a couple of years ago, they took Michael Bush 31st yeah. overall as like a <laughs> very much an offensive minded mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. guy coming out of, coming out of college with with some position questions Mm so yeah that wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all yeah bush at the time was definitely much more of a like consensus first round type and again that's because he had more time to establish himself as a hitter he had a summer on the cape where he hit over 300 i think he hit over 300 400 500 in triple slash categories when he was on the cape and obviously an extensive track record of hitting in the acc gives you a little bit more confidence in that but yeah without without a full evaluation period this year teams are going to be put in some tricky situations where they're just frankly they're not going to have the the amount of confidence that maybe they've had in the past they're going to have to uh just trust their scouting reports their scouts their model uh whatever combination of those inputs they're relying on every year they're just going to have to put some faith in them and, and take the best guy on the board but um yeah, I didn't even mention. I forgot to. I didn't even mention the. Cape. Oh yeah, the Cape has started, right? Like that's the other it's, thing that teams are getting. Uh, this is I why mean, I, I hate teams, it because yeah. I haven't been able to put any kind of attention on the Cape at this point. And there are a lot of guys who are doing some good things on, out there. I'm assuming the Cape and the I have like the the U.S. College National Team is going to be playing right like against like Appy League teams like before the draft starts. So it's. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot going on all all condensed mm-hmm. into even before the draft starts this yeah. year and then the summer ends not too long after that one other guy i wanted to mention is is kind of a late riser and you you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about this year we have more pop-up types than ever that's definitely been the case throughout this draft process but another guy who's probably the latest one is um left-handed pitcher Rohan Honda, who is at Yale. And he is kind of hit with a double whammy because not only did he knock it last summer to pitch wherever he might've pitched or last spring. Yeah. Or last spring, he threw just five innings Yeah, and didn't pitch in the summer. And the Ivy league didn't have a season this year. He's at Yale, right? He's at Yale. Yep. And I think the last time that scouts saw him in game for Yale, he was pitching in the mid eighties. He recently started pitching in the new England collegiate league this summer and has been up to 97 from the left side with a banger of a slider. So a guy like that, I mean, he never got to show all of the work that he put in over the past year and a half and only just now is, is kind of putting that work on display and in scouts were the last I checked, we're just kind of running in to see him. Cause you talk about a left-handed pitcher who's up to 97 with a potentially plus breaking ball who, 
I mean, no one has any sort of history on him at all outside of the player he was previously with Yale, which is an entirely, I mean, he's completely transitioned the, the sort of player that he is. He worked with, uh, I think it's Tread Athletics in Charlotte, North Carolina, to really kind of overhaul his, his work and gain velocity and improve his breaking stuff. So, and I'm sure there are more guys maybe who aren't to the extent that Honda has remade himself, but guys like that who just haven't, haven't had a chance to show what they can do. Um, so there's certainly a lot of players like that who right now are getting a shot in college summer leagues that are starting up now, which does seem crazy because of the draft isn't even here, but it's a wild year. Yeah. And for somebody like that, like how much can you really move up your stock? <laughs> you just don't have as much history and as much information to, to go on. But that, that answer is going to be very different for a lot of teams because some teams will be very quick to make adjustments absolutely, <laughs> and, and make decisions based on less information. Other teams are going to say, no, we have a more, more disciplined process than this, and we're, we're going to need to see some more before mm-hmm. we, we run them up too high. How do you think those conversations change when you're talking about pitchers versus hitters? Because I feel like for pitchers, it's a lot easier just to see kind of what's coming out of the hand. Whereas for a hitter, maybe you need a lot more of that history, just have conviction in what they can actually do at the plate. Yeah, I think I do think it's easier for a pitcher. I mean, like, you know, if you see a guy throw 97, he throws 97. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, you may want to, like, inspect uh, the baseball or something. Make sure there's no spider tack in play. Yeah, but, you know, if if you see a guy throwing, you know, even like in a bullpen, if if you see him flash a – a plus curveball or a, a plus changeup. Yeah, I, you certainly want to see more of it and see how it holds up. And and there's a lot more than just seeing a guy in a even just a, a bullpen session. But it's a lot easier to get a a read quickly on a pitcher than it is on on a hitter. Yep, no doubt. Uh, with that, Ben, I think we're going to take a quick break. Um, we'll be back to talk about some more helium prospects, maybe on the pro side and a few more things. Uh, but thank you guys for listening. If you've stuck with us to this point, uh, we'll be back in a sec. And we're back. Thank you for joining us again, everybody. I uh, wanted to talk about a few helium guys on the pro side um, because we haven't really done much of that in the existence of this podcast because... Most of his existence was before the minor league season started. But Ben, I know you have been keeping tabs with some minor league guys who are, who are moving up around the industry. Who are some of the Helium Pro prospects who you wanted to mention um, and just highlight? I think one guy who really jumps out for me is Angel Martinez, shortstop for the Indians in Loe. Signed him out of the Dominican Republic uh a couple of years ago, or I guess a few years ago now, 2018 signing, and he just keeps trending up and up. He, you know, when he was younger, before he signed, he was a, just like a really smart, high baseball IQ, baseball rat type kid. I mean, he's the son of a former big leaguer, Sandy Martinez, who was the Nationals. He might still be actually the Nationals Dominican Summer League manager and and his older brother uh signed and and played too so he was always just around around his dad around his older brother asking questions and and 
pointing out little nuances of the game already at a at a really really young age that just is not common to see and you can see just the way he he plays on the field it's really really instinctive really smart player and a really good hitter too he's you know he hit really well in the dsl in his pro debut in, in 2019 so making a you know pretty big jump i think you know certainly age appropriate or um you know 19 years old in in low a but but jumping from the dsl straight to low a is still a pretty pretty good jump so age pretty consistent with the uh, you know carson tucker robert hassel the Zach Veen, those the first round or or the high school draft picks, I should say, from from a year ago. So he's you know he's hitting, he's getting on base, uh, and he's he's hitting for a little bit of power too, which has has surprised me. It's it's good to see him. I mean, he has bat speed. He's he's getting stronger, but uh, he's going to play. You know, whether it's shortstop, second base, somewhere somewhere in the middle infield, and he's going to. I think he's going to hit. He's going to get on base at a a high clip, pretty good bat to ball skills and, and knowledge of the strike zone and, and some power is starting to show up too. I don't know if that ends up being a, a huge part of his game, but just combination of pretty solid tools and, and just really good game skills, especially the, mm-hmm. the hitting ability and, and the eye for the strike zone and, and just the overall instincts and, and game savvy makes everything play up. I mean, if, you know, I, I I think he's moving way, 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 way up for uh, up, up the Indians list right now. One of the guys who I'm kind of interested in who made the hot sheet this week, which if you guys are not familiar with the hot sheet or you're not checking it out every Monday, definitely do so. Uh, our minor league staff takes a look at 20 of the hottest prospects around baseball for every week. So it's a really good just piece that you can rely on regularly to just keep tabs on some of the better performers um, and some of the hottest prospects in baseball. Uh, Anthony Volpe, the Yankees shortstop was number three on our, our most recent edition of the hot sheet. And his numbers are pretty silly right now in low a uh, Southeast. He obviously was a first round pick for the Yankees in 2019. And what stood out about him as a draft prospect, wasn't necessarily any gaudy tools or any really plus tools. I don't think we had a single plus tool on Volpe at the time, but pretty much everything he did on the baseball field, he did at a high level. Scouts always talked about uh, how skillful he was as a player, just a, a really solid all-around game with with good hitting ability and a chance to stick at shortstop. And it sounds like He's continued to be that player after a pro debut where he kind of battled his mononucleosis for a little bit. Uh, didn't have the greatest pro debut, perhaps in part with that. But now in his first full season in pro ball, he's hitting 310, 439, 620, leading the league in a bunch of statistical categories. And I think that what's most interesting to me is the power numbers that he's hitting for, the 620 slug in nine homers and we've heard some pretty impressive exit velocity numbers from him um, as like a 511 180 pound shortstop so if he is that that sort of hitter who is just able to find the barrel so consistently to tap into all of the raw power that he has a guy who maybe doesn't have the biggest raw power but just gets the most of what he does have in the tank if he's able to hit for that sort of power I think that 
kind of changes the profile of the player that that at least I was expecting. Um, but either way, it's it's encouraging to see him perform at this level. Uh, and he was a guy who, again, wasn't ever the the biggest toolsy guy, even coming out of the draft. So to see him put up some of the numbers he's producing this year as a 20 year old is has been fun. Yeah, he's been the performance has been way, way better than what I was expecting. But the, the reports on him from scouts coming in, uh, especially from that Josh has been getting. I mean, he knows the Yankees organization and and the pro scouts that cover the mm-hmm. Yankees probably better than anybody on the planet. <laughs> it just sounds like ever since, uh, you know, ever since spring training or extended spring uh, or spring training, I should say, started, it uh, sounds like he's just been killing the ball and, yeah. and pretty, pretty glowing reports on him too. Sounds like he might be a potential top 100 guy at some point soon. I would not be surprised, Carlos. <laughs> I would not be surprised. Any other guys? Uh, yeah, one other guy. I mean, we talked about Angel Martinez making the jump from the DSL to OLA. The Marlins signed a pitcher, Yuri Perez, out of the Dominican Republic. He's 18 years old, so high school senior age. And he's... He's skipping DSL. He's skipping whatever the Florida Complex League is now. He and he's they jumped him straight to low A. He is, I don't know his exact height. I've seen six eight. It might be six six. Either way, he's listed at six eight on B ref for what? Yeah, that's worth. yeah, listed. Uh, <laughs> either way, he's really tall. He's really long and was really lanky. I mean, I remember seeing him when he was. Must have been like 14 or 15 at a showcase up in the Cibao area up north. And it was in, it was in Mocha in the Dominican Republic. And he was, I think maybe like mid eighties at the time. But I was like, this guy is just, everything just screams that this guy's going to throw really hard. And, you know, it was just one look there. I, I didn't, didn't appreciate at the time, even just how good of body control he had for such a, young i mean he was probably like six five i don't know 155 160 something maybe at the time just like skin and bones but uh a ton of room to fill out add strength had a fast arm and now he's i mean low to low to mid 90s fastball he's got feel for a good breaking ball and he's he's throwing a lot of strikes and missing a lot of bats for them as a you know a high school age pitcher with an ERA under one striking out almost 13 per nine walks 2.1 per nine. I was only thrown like 21 innings. The Marlins are obviously limiting his workload, just given how, given how young he is and he has filled out some, but <laughs> you still want to be careful with a, a young still, I don't know if I call him slender anymore, but, um, you know, just a, a young, really tall, tall pitcher like that. So it's 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 not a huge sample, but both the the performance and the reports on on the stuff have have definitely been encouraging. I think he's definitely an an, an arrow up type guy for a guy who wasn't. I think he signed for like two hundred thousand. We did actually rank him as our as a top one hundred international signing in that class af- after he had signed. Uh, cause he was already kind of trending up at that time, but it 
just seems like he keeps getting better and, and better. Yeah, I will never uh, not be excited about a guy who's six foot eight who is doing the kind of stuff that he's doing. We don't have a lot of pitchers who are that tall in the big league game. It seems like all those guys just have such trouble repeating their mechanics or, or deal with injuries or, or something like that. So that'd be a lot of fun. One guy that I also wanted to highlight here, and he's not as he's in the same level, um, not quite as young, uh, but Joe Gray, who was a second round pick by the Brewers drafted in 2018 out of Hattiesburg high school. Um, at the time of the draft, he was just this really toolsy athletic outfielder with speed, power, arm strength. Uh, and he really had, a bit of a down um, showcase circuit showed a lot of swing and miss. I know the first two years for him and pro ball were probably a bit disappointing. He hit below 200. Swung and missed a ton this year so far in low a. And again, he he's a 21 year old in low a. So maybe you don't get as excited about this performance as you would for a guy who is quite a bit younger than the competition, but it has been encouraging to see him perform the way he has so far hitting 308, 408, 675 with 11 home runs. He's still striking out um, at a fairly high rate, kind of in line with what he's done his first two years in pro ball. But when he's actually tapping into some of that raw power that he has more consistently in game, immediately gets a lot more exciting. Um, and so just keep an eye on him. He's also stolen 12 bags in 12 chances. So he might be putting some things together. I know his stock fell a little bit. I think we had him ranked towards the back of the Brewer system entering the year. Um, but I was always really fascinated and intrigued with, with Gray's upside going back to his prep days. Um, and he has moved a little bit slowly for the Brewer. So maybe it's just a case where kind of needs to be slow and steady, figure out the levels, um, adjust to the pitching, but the, the raw tools are still there for him. And if he's healthy and starting to figure out things offensively, he would definitely be a guy that, that I kept an eye on. Um, and we'll see if he can keep this up throughout the, the rest of the season. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to see how it translates once he gets to uh, a higher level, mm -hmm. but just the fact that he's, I mean, the, the performance is like night and day exactly. difference, <laughs> different than what it was his previous two years in, in rookie ball where it was, it was pretty brutal. I mean, it he, was bad. pretty much doubled his, uh, I think he can add his, his slugging from 2018 and 2019. Mm -hmm. It's it's even higher now than uh, uh, Yeah, so proceed with a little bit of caution until he does kind of move to a more advanced level and see what he does there. But encouraging sign for me. Um, it's been better than Austin Beck still, which is just really sad to see his numbers still at this point. It doesn't seem like he's figuring it out. But just another one of those athletic kind of toolsy guys who maybe he's figuring something out. Maybe he's just uh average age for the the league we'll see yeah the game is more fun when those types of guys do figure it out absolutely um i think that's going to wrap it up for us today um we still have a lot of stuff going on that we got to jump back into um state lists and a ba 500 update on the way for me next we've got underclass rankings coming um we've got top 100 updates coming we've got College World Series is, is literally going on as we're recording this podcast. So, I mean, by the time you guys are listening, maybe there is a, uh, a champion. Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't even touched base with that. I probably should. But, uh, Ben, is there anything you want to plug? Anything you got coming up that you want to alert the listeners to? 
Uh, that's all. It's uh, like we said, there's just a lot, a lot going on that we're, and we're trying to cover as much of it for, for all you guys as, as possible. So appreciate everybody for, for subscribing and supporting what we do. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you for your patience with us as we had a bit of a, a delay. Hopefully we'll be able to come to you a little bit more regularly as we manage this crazy schedule, but hopefully you guys are exciting all or enjoying all of the baseball that uh, is going on at, at every level at this point. I know we are uh, again, thanks for listening for Ben. I'm Carlos. See you next time, everybody. This is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer. He hears things differently to the untrained ear. Everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.